Well, we are going to be in the book of First Kings this morning. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there to chapter 19. And uh, we're beginning a new series today focused on the concept that I think everybody in here has probably dealt with at some point or another. And this, this feeling of being overwhelmed. You ever had that? This morning, maybe, you know, I mean, at some point, if you look back over your last day, week, whatever, I mean, this, this just overwhelming feeling like too much, too much to handle at work, too much to handle at home, too much in certain relationships, a project deadline, something that is just overwhelming. I did not have to think very long to think about a time in my life that I felt very overwhelmed. And it kind of comes back to our, uh, even our focus this morning with some of our children. I remember when we uh, first had PJ. I mean, our first child was born now almost 19 years ago, and uh, we're at the hospital, and, you know, we've got all these nurses and everything helping us out, and they bring them, they're helping feed them and everything, and then it's time to go home, and we're leaving home on a Sunday morning, heading home, and it's, we're getting him put in the car. We start driving off in our car. We have Ford Explorer at the time. breaks down before we even get out of the hospital. Like, it just, like, I'm like, okay, this is not a good start. My, my parents are like, take our car. We'll We'll figure it out. So... Like, okay, we get home, and I remember Katie and I, we get him out of the car, we go in, we're all excited, and we set him in his little bassinet, and then we kind of look at each other and like, now what? Like, what, what do we do? Like, what do we do with this kid? Like, you know, are we really trained and ready for this? I mean, it's just this sense of complete, overwhelmed, you know, like, I, I don't know what to do. And maybe you felt overwhelmed because you're short on time, short on resources, short on energy, our ability, and the idea of being overwhelmed can mean a lot of things to us. But I believe the idea of being overwhelmed carries a deeper meaning than just a tight schedule or an urgent task or a new endeavor. For many of us, it can become a way of life. We can live overwhelmed with an attitude of how we approach almost every task, every relationship, and every event in our lives can just seem unbearable, too much. Good things can even become overwhelming. We can be like, too much. Our daily challenges become major obstacles. Our shortcomings become magnified. Optimism is a race, and everything seems to begin to work against us. So overwhelmed isn't just a feeling. Sometimes it becomes the complete attitude of our life. And the Bible talks about this concept in numerous ways, and If we study this word overwhelmed and the concept overwhelmed in Scripture, we see that it actually plays out a pattern in our life and how it quickly moves from just a feeling to our character. And I want you to see this morning a few Scriptures that use this term overwhelmed and what the word actually means. I'm going to read these so you don't have to turn there, but Job 22, 10 through 11. Job is a guy who knows what it means to be overwhelmed. I mean, he faced tremendous challenges in his life. And he says this in verse 10. It says this in Job. Therefore, snares are all around me, and sudden terror overwhelms me. Our darkness, uh, so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. The word overwhelmed that's used in this passage here literally means the word troubles. Troubles. It's this idea that I've become alarmed. Something is disturbing me. I'm feeling uneasy about something. There's a feeling I cannot shake. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I just turned 16. And uh, I, was, I got my driver's license in my car, and I was going on my first date like by myself where I could actually drive my car. 
And I'm like, what freedom, right? You know, this is amazing. And uh, the girl's name was Mary Catherine, and a uh, great Southern name, right? You know, so we're, uh, we're going on this date. I was supposed to be home by midnight. We get to her house about midnight, and uh, I call my parents. This is before the day of cell phones and everything, like ancient times. And uh, so I call my parents, and I say, hey, I just got to her house. We didn't live too far away. I said, I'll just be a few minutes longer. And they said, great, that's fine. Well, a few minutes turned into about an hour and a half of a conversation and uh <laughs> and we uh as i was pulling out about one thirty in the morning i i pull out and i'm driving home and i notice this car is following me and i feel trouble behind me I, i'm feeling a little overwhelmed like I, I don't know if this is somebody out to get me or or what i just had this uneasy feeling and i remember this car is like right on my tail I'm going to tell you what happens next in that story in just a minute when we look at what the next part of overwhelm means. Because in Psalm 61, 1 and 2, it says this, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. For the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The word overwhelmed here, the concept here, means an idea of weakness or faintness. And it means that I begin to feel vulnerable. I began to feel like I'm in tr- not just that I'm in trouble, but I'm beginning to think I can't overcome this trouble. I'm not strong enough or equipped enough. This trouble is exposing me, and I don't like it, and I'm not sure what to do. As I continued to drive home that night, this car stayed with me the whole time. And as I turned a corner onto my street, I went under a street lamp, and I could see the car, and I could see the person in my car, and it was my dad. And he had been out looking for me after an hour and a half of telling me I would be home, certainly. And I could tell he did not have a good look on his face. And he had been with me the whole, and I was feeling a little vulnerable at this point. Like, what is going to happen when I get home? I'll tell you the next part in just a minute when we see what the next part of overwhelmed is. Second Samuel 22, 5 through 6 says this, For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. This is what I thought was coming, right? The cords of Sheol or hell entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. The word here for overwhelmed, the concept is this feeling of being swept away, taken away, like literally water just overwhelming you and flooding you. It's this idea of feeling helpless. Things move out of my hands. They, circumstances sweep me away. My feet can't touch the bottom anymore. I've lost the ability to make my own decisions. As I turned into my driveway that night, about 1.30 in the morning, not only was my dad behind me, but my mom was standing in the middle of the driveway in her house coat with her foot just tapping like this and pointing right as I came in. I just didn't feel like I was in trouble and I was vulnerable at that point. At that moment, I felt completely helpless. I couldn't back up. My dad was there. I couldn't go forward. My mom was there like, I, I'm stuck. Like, this is in my own hands, but I am stuck. And that's not where it ended. Psalm 55, 4 through 5 says this. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. (laughs) This word here for being overwhelmed is this idea of being hidden, covered, and concealed. It's this idea of being completely lost. Not only am I out of control, but I don't know where I am, what's going to happen next. My life and my future are hidden from me. As soon as I got out of the car, 
I didn't have to go very far before my mom was in my face saying, give me those keys. I don't know when you're ever leaving this house again. Do you know how worried I like? She had me like, she, she's half my size, but she was yanking me into the house. And I was scared to death of my little mom. But she, uh, I, that was not a fun night at that point. I went from being troubled, vulnerable, helpless to my future feeling lost. I never got to go out with Mary Catherine again. That relationship ended <laughs> because it was months before I could literally go out of the house and drive again because of my own actions. I will say this. She ended up being in our wedding. She was one of Katie's really good friends. And so kind of a weird story there. But this idea of being overwhelmed from a biblical, biblical perspective isn't just feeling busy or overworked or too tired. It's a journey away from the assurances of God that he has for us toward a place of complete lostness. When trouble leads to vulnerability, vulnerability leads to helplessness, and helplessness leads to feeling lost. And while I used a lighthearted example this morning to show you how that can play out, it really can have devastating impact on our life. We end up lost in our purpose, lost in relationships, lost in direction, lost in hope, lost in our past, our present, and our future. And this is what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks. How can we follow Christ and his teachings in such a way as that we not become overwhelmed with fear, dread, and despair, but instead be overwhelmed and get lost in the hope, grace, and peace of our creator? We're going to look at how to deal with our present circumstances. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we'll look at how to overcome our past experiences. And then the next week, our certain, our uncertain future, and then finally, our personal shortcomings. We're going to learn how to deal with all these and not be overwhelmed by these. But this week, we're going to focus on how not to become overwhelmed with our current set of life circumstances. No life ever felt like a roller coaster. I mean, just up one minute, down the next, up one minute, down the next, emotionally, financially, physically, whatever. It's just this up and down. I love roller coasters. I've loved them since I was a kid. Tim, a good friend of mine is here this morning. We used to go to Orlando all the time together, Universal Studios. And one of the rides there is called the Hulk. And it's this green monster roller coaster with multiple loops. And we were there one time, and it was kind of empty. Uh, and being a single rider, we got to ride, I got to ride in the front three or four times straight on this. I loved it the first two times. The third time, I was like, oh, okay, that didn't feel quite good. The fourth time, I'm coming in saying, get me off, please, as quick as you can. It's just too much too consistently. And when our life feels like in a daily moment by moment basis that we're on this roller coaster, sometimes we just want to say, please stop and get us off. You know, the, the classic book, A Tale of Two Cities, sums it up best when it says what? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And that's the way sometimes our life feels like one minute phone call. Great. Then the next minute you get a text and you're down in the dumps again. You hear this. Somebody says this to you and you're encouraged. And then somebody says something about what you're wearing and the way your hair looks that day. And you're down in the dumps again. And you're just up and down and up and down. Best of times and the worst of times. We go from laughing to crying, excited to worry, blessings to cursing. And the truth is we actually have little control over what circumstances come into our lives, don't we? I mean, we, we have some, but not ultimate control. We can't control what people say. We can't control how people are going to respond, but we can determine how we face them. And this is the question that we want to ponder today. How do I use my circumstances in my life today to enhance my outlook rather than to spoil it? 
And there's a story in the Bible that sums this up perfectly, and it's the story of Elijah found in 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to focus on about eight verses there this morning, but I want to give you some backstory so you understand where we find him in this uh, time. So it's during the time of the kings of Israel. It's years after King David, like the, the glory days of Israel have kind of passed. And there had been some good kings and bad kings, but there was one king named Ahab who the Bible said was the worst king of all. And that's the king during this time that we find. He literally led the nation of Israel. He, Ahab is who married Jezebel. Like, we just hear that name, we're all like, oh, okay, this guy's probably not that good, right? I mean, we, we, you, you, you don't name, we didn't dedicate any Jezebels this morning, right? You know, so this is who he married, and she encouraged him to leave the God of Israel and begin to worship Baal. And they set up, they killed the prophets or made the prophets of God go into hiding, set up their whole different religious system. And so this is who this guy was. Elijah happened to be the primary prophet of God during this time. What a job, right? Like, hey, I get to talk about the guy you hate the most. And here's what God told Elijah to do. He said, go to Ahab and tell him there's going to be a tremendous drought and famine in the land. There will be no rain until I tell it to rain again. That's literally what he told Ahab. God said, go and tell Ahab until Elijah says for it to rain, it's not going to rain. So Elijah does this. And he, he does this because of Ahab's rebellion and it says in First Kings 7, 1 through 4, it says this, Now Elijah said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of Jordan, and you will drink from the brook as I have commanded the ravens to feed you. So Elijah goes and delivers this message, and then what does he do? He goes into hiding. He runs, right? He's a smart guy. Like, I'm not going to hang around. And God tells him where to go. And while he got, he hides out for three years. For three years. No rain, no dew, no water in the land. Everything begins to drive up. And what do you imagine Ahab does during this time? He goes searching for Elijah, right? He's like, where is this guy? I'm going to make him tell it to rain. And so for three years, what's Elijah's life like? It's this roller coaster. Right? He's going from place to place, hiding out here, looking over his shoulder, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Is Ahab going to find me today? Is somebody going to come kill me today? And so it's this constant upheaval and hiding, upheaval and hiding. And so Elijah is on this roller coaster ride every day looking over his shoulder. After three years, God sends him back to Ahab and says, it's time for rain. Now, Ahab wasn't really excited to see him at this time, but here's what Elijah does. He said, I want you to gather up all these prophets that you have of Baal. Meet me on the mountain. And on the mountain, we're going to have a little contest and see whose God is the real God. And so he says, bring a couple of cows. We're going to sacrifice some cows. They both build altars. And these prophets of Baal start to build their altar. And here's what it says in 1 Kings 18, 26. It says, they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no answer, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry louder, for if he is God, either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Like, Elijah's like, you know, he's giving it to him, right? I mean, he's like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. This guy's no God. Maybe he's out relieving himself. And then 
Elijah does something amazing. He says, prepare my altar. You can imagine how scarce water was at this point. And he does something incredible. He takes three huge cisterns of water and pours them over the altar and the sacrifice and just dumps it over there completely. And then he calls on the name of God, Jehovah, the God of Israel, once. And he says, Lord, come consume this offering. And immediately fire from heaven comes and doesn't just consume the offering, but it dries up every bit of the water. And it says in that moment, many in the nation of Israel turned back to God. And the prophets of Baal were slaughtered. And later that afternoon, Elijah spoke and rain came. So this is where we find Elijah in this moment. He had just, I mean, he had a victory, right? I mean, he won against 450 and he won. His God showed up. And so here's what happened. Look in 1 Kings 19, 1 through 2. So Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me or more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She basically saying, I'm coming after you. 24 hours. In 24 hours, if you're not dead, I wish I was dead. She's sending all the resources she can. So I want you to see a couple principles this morning. The first principle is this. We cannot control every circumstance and how others will react to it. We cannot control every circumstance that comes into our life or how others will react to it. It, it would have been great if at, this, at the end of this story, at the end of this three-year roller coaster, everything would have been great for Elijah. The king would have said, we repent. Jezebel would have said, I'm sorry. Everybody would have come back. But no, they're after him again. He showed up, did what God said, but he's back on this roller coaster. He wished his days of feeling trouble, vulnerable, helpless, and lost were over, but that wasn't happening. You know, some people did respond to him positively. Some people said, yes, we follow. But Ahab simply turned it into bad news. He told Jezebel, he he killed all your prophets. Jezebel responded so negatively that she wanted to kill Elijah. The truth is this. You and I can be as careful as we can be and still find ourselves in difficult situations. You can be, try to create as many safety nets, as many guards around your life as you can, but you will still find yourself in overwhelming circumstances. You can't guard that. Every action can have both an equal and opposite reaction. Sometimes the good we do brings back good. Sometimes the good we do brings back evil. You can't please everyone all the time. Your actions have consequences, both good and bad. And sometimes those consequences can be overwhelming. So the the idea that you can avoid overwhelming circumstances, that that's a way to to not be overwhelmed, it's impossible. You just say, I'm going to avoid them. You can't do that. Sickness will come your way that you have zero control about. Financial hardship can come your way that you have zero control of. A relationship can immediately be broken in your life because of nothing that you did. You can't control them. That, And if we think we can, we're simply fooling ourselves, and eventually we're going to be overwhelmed. Second principle is in verse 3, and it says this. Then Elijah was afraid, again, and he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, where it belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So the second principle I want you to see is this. How we respond to our own circumstances is completely in our control. 
We can't control how other people respond or what the circumstances are, but how we respond is completely in our control. Elijah here became fearful, probably like many of us would in this situation. Powerful king and his wife are after you. But remember, God had just done this amazing work through Elijah. And instead of remembering that, he focused on what was happening in that moment, and he became overwhelmed again. See, you and I have a choice. We can let others direct our actions. We can let our feelings direct our actions. Or we can let the character of God direct our actions. And this is where Elijah found himself. And this is where many of us find ourselves on a daily, weekly basis. There's an overwhelming issue in our life. Something that has the the ability to start us on that path of feeling lost And we can choose what to do with it. We can let other people determine. We can say, how does this make me feel? Or we can rely on the character of God. And we're going to see Elijah does all three of these here. In 1 Kings 19.4, it says this. But he himself, Elijah, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he, he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am better, no better than my father's. Prince, what I want you to see here is this. When we let the thoughts and actions of others determine our actions, we end up responding in desperation. We end up becoming desperate. That's exactly how Elijah did to start here. His fear of Jezebel caused him to run and hide. And not just hide, he didn't even want to live anymore. He said, God, take my life. He let desperation overtake him. He literally says there, enough. God, enough. I have had enough. You ever had one of those moments where you're just like, enough, I can't take anymore. What this person is doing to me, I can't take anymore. This overwhelming fear that I have, I can't take it anymore. This desperate feeling that I have, I can't take anymore. If you've ever felt like this, it's a very easy path to becoming overwhelmed. The words of others can cut deep. The expectations they place on us can be too high. We become consumed with pleasing an audience that will never be satisfied. Someone will always want more, more than I can give. I'll be a little transparent with you this morning. There are times as a spiritual leader, I want to run away. I I get overwhelmed. The idea of trying to lead so many people and to guide people into the right way and try to stay myself on the straight and narrow. Sometimes I'm just like, enough, God. I can't do it. And I have this idea that I just want to run away and take this weight off. But when I do that, I realize I'm doing that based on what other people's expectations are, not what God's character is calling me to do in my life. And when this happens, the outcome is this. Circumstances triumph in our life. They'll win. Look at verse 5 and 6. And then he says, And then he laid down and slept under a broom tree, one of these big trees. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at the head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he lay back down. So the next principle is this. When I let my own emotions determine my actions, we end up responding with stagnation. We just try to manage the circumstance. Keep things the same. This is what Elijah did next. If you're not going to kill me, then I'm not moving. I'm just going to stay here. Like I've learned how to manage this level of pain in my life. I can tolerate this if this is what it's going to be. 
So he was just going to stay under that tree, eat whatever scraps God gave him, and just sustain. He would learn to manage his emotions and anxiety. You know, we're tempted to do the same thing, aren't we? We find ways to self-medicate, to cope, to manage, and we end up becoming stagnant in our life. Fear of hurt, pain, and the unknown cripple us, and we stop living, and we simply start existing. We just exist through life instead of living through life. You know, for me, as, as I've watched my kids grow up, there's been times I've wanted to just say stop. Like, let's stop them at this age. Things are good. They're safe here. There's things in the world I don't want them to experience. They get any older. If they go out on their own, they're going to have to, I just want to stop and get stagnant and, like, just hold on, right? As a parent, you ever you ever felt that way? Maybe it was when they were tiny, and you're like, this is easy. I can keep changing diapers. That's fine. As long as I can sleep, that's good. Or maybe it was at a you know, middle age years or teenage, whatever. But there's just this fear sometimes that we just want to stop. But can I tell you, as much as I miss sometimes the baby years or the early teen years, I, I've there's been blessings and joy of every stage of my kids' lives that I would never want to trade to just hold on to what was. But when I let my emotions, fear, and the unknown stop me and stifle me, yeah, I might miss some pain, but you know what? I'm also going to miss some incredible blessings as well. And what happens is this. The outcome when we live stagnation lives is that the circumstances are simply contained. They're not dealt with. They're just contained. I want to close with this. Verses 7 and 8 say this. And the angel of the Lord then came again a second time and touched Elijah and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Harab, uh, Harab, the mount of God. First, the principle, the last principle is this. When we let God's character determine our actions, we respond with dedication. Elijah finally overcame his fear and stagnation, and because of God, wouldn't leave him alone. God kept providing. God kept nudging, kept doing what God does. He was faithful to those who love him that he created and called. Elijah ate, arose, and then went forward in the strength of God. Hear this. God will never stop pursuing you. He will never stop providing for you. Even when you are overwhelmed or paralyzed with fear, with fear, he will keep on. God will use circumstances to refine your purpose, your character, and your calling. He is preparing you for what's next. I want to close with this key thought. God is not about creating comfortable circumstances for you. But instead, he is about bringing you comfort in your circumstances. As you walk through difficult times, God will provide. God will be there. One of the quickest ways to stop being overwhelmed by your current circumstances of your life is to stop praying for deliverance and start praying for dependence. It's so easy to pray for deliverance. But I want to challenge you instead to start praying for dependence. Ask God to use this situation to draw you closer to his way of thinking, to his way of feeling, to his way of responding. Ask God to grow his character in you. My question for you today is this. What's overwhelming you today? What in your life is overwhelming? What circumstances is causing you to feel troubled, vulnerable, helpless, and lost? Identify it. Don't excuse it. Don't make less of it than it is. Don't say this too will pass. Identify it. 
This has overtaken me. And then the question is this, how are you responding today? Are you letting others direct your desperation? Are emotions driving you to stagnation? Are you allowing God to call you to dedication? My challenge to you today is this. Would you walk out of here today not overwhelmed by your circumstances, but with the power to overwhelm your circumstances with the hope of God that we find through the grace and peace that we experience in our lives? Will you pray with me?